This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. I wrongly believed that the worst was over, and so I cared less about the time it would take the Americans to figure out that I was not the guy they were looking for. I trusted the American justice system too much and shared that trust with the detainees from European countries. We all had an idea about how the democratic system works. Other detainees, for instance, those from the Middle East, didn't believe it for a second and trust the American system. Their argument lay in the growing hostility of extremist Americans against Muslims and the Arabs. With every day going by, the optimists lost ground. The interrogation methods worsened considerably as time went by, and as you shall see, those responsible for Gitmo broke all the principles upon which the U.S. was built and compromised every great principle, such as Ben Franklin's, they that give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. That quote comes from the book I'm going to cover today, Guantanamo Diary by Mohamedou Old Slahi. This is book 50 of 52 for my 2019 reading list. By the way, I'm Eric Rosted, and I'm coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. This episode is going to consist of three different segments. The first will be an introduction to the book, the author, who suggested it, and my initial reaction. In the second segment, I'll cover three different ideas that stuck out to me. And then in the final segment, it'll be the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book, the thing I'm still thinking about. So on to segment one. The author is Mohamedou Old Slahi. He was prisoner number 760 at Guantanamo Bay. He's born on December 31st, 1970 in Mauritania. Mauritania is in West Africa. And I'm just going to go uh, over a little bit of detail about Mauritania and then about Mohamedou's life. And uh, just, so just kind of a brief overview of, of what we're looking at in terms of, of this book. Mauritania West Africa, population of 4.3 million. It had been a, a French colony uh, beginning in the early 1900s until independence in 1960. Landmass-wise, is about two times larger than the country of France, but 90% of that land is uninhabitable as is part of the Sahara Desert. So most of the people are on, on the western portion of, of the, the country uh, and, and south, southwestern portion. Uh, it has a nearly 100% Sunni Muslim population in, in that country. Mohamedou, he uh, was a smart smart kid growing up and got a, got a scholarship to study electrical engineering in Germany. While he was there, he got caught up in the, in, in the cause of his brethren, brethren in Afghanistan who were fighting at that time against the Russians. So this is 1991. Uh, Mohamedou goes to Afghanistan, joins al-Qaeda, who is fighting against the, the Russians, against the, the, the communists. And at that point, the U.S. was also on the side of al-Qaeda, uh, providing support, uh, but also trying to get Russia out of, out of Afghanistan. So Mohamedou uh, joins al-Qaeda. He takes an oath of allegiance and ends up fighting uh, against the Russians. Once once the battle's over, uh, he leaves. He breaks all ties with with Al Qaeda, but uh, that obviously comes to haunt him later in life. He goes back to Germany, uh, finishes his his studies, and, and works in Germany for a while. 
then goes to Canada. So between Germany and Canada, he uh, it's 12 years of his life that he spent between those two countries, uh, in majority of it in Germany. 1999 goes to Montreal, Canada. And the big thing that happens there is that he attends a mosque where Ahmad Ahmed Rassam had also attended. Ahmad Rassam is known for planning the millennial plot. And that was basically, he had filled a car with explosives and he was going to drive from Canada to Los Angeles and detonate a bomb at Los Angeles airport on New Year's Day. He got arrested. And uh, so before any of that happened, but the, but the plot was there. He, he left Montreal, Canada before Mohamedou arrived, but because they went to the same mosque, that was another uh, black mark on Mohamedou's life and would, again, come back to haunt him later. So when Mohamedou, author of this book, returns back to Mauritania after being in Canada, he gets questioned in Mauritania about his knowledge about this millennial plot to, to blow up the LAX airport. Fast forward to September 11th, uh, about three weeks after that, he is arrested again in Mauritania. He's questioned, he's interrogated for a couple of weeks, and they they keep asking about this him about this millennial plot and then his connection with Al-Qaeda. From there, he's actually sent to Jordan, the country of Jordan, and there it's a little looser on the interrogation. And so they, they question him for, for a period of time there. From there, he's sent to Bagram Air Force Base for two weeks, and after that, is sent directly to Guantanamo in Cuba. And his family doesn't know where he is at any of any of these points. They just know that he's being taken in for for questioning in Mauritania. And the next they hear, uh, it's from a German newspaper. They hear that he is now in Guantanamo Bay. So in Guantanamo, he uh, is. He's interrogated. He's part of the special interrogation plan signed off by Donald Rumsfeld to where they can, they can do more things to him. Uh, so in this book, he details the torture that he went through, the special interrogation methods that were used against him to try to, to get more information. Uh, throughout this whole time, he had never been to the U.S., and I, uh, Guantanamo is is held by the U.S., but it's not, it's part of Cuba. So I, I don't think he still has ever been to the United States, uh, but he was, he was always being questioned by, by the United States and, and interrogated by the, by the United States. He started writing this book while in prison. So, uh, sorry, going back, he, he arrives at Guantanamo August 5th, 2002. He starts writing a diary in 2005 and Anything that a prisoner in Guantanamo says is classified. So uh, this book didn't come out until 2015. uh, They tried to get him released in 2010. Mohamedou uh, had a habeas corpus petition that was granted, but then the Obama administration appealed that ruling. So he, he remained in Guantanamo. His mother died March 27, 2013, so uh, he, he never saw his mother again. This book was released in 2015, so 10 years after he wrote it, it was, it was fin- his diary was, was finally released. 
although it was released heavily redacted. There were 2,500 redactions. And a redaction is basically, if you've ever seen a document from that is released from the government and then it's just blacked out. So there'll be, there'll be words blacked out, there'll be entire sections blacked out. And so that, that's the version of the book that I got. I, I got the 2015 edition and uh, there, there are whole sections like of um, almost five pages of just complete blackout. Uh, and other other times it, it'll be phrases or words, sometimes the the, the occasional paragraph, but heavily redacted. Uh, and and an editor, uh, Larry Seams, put 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 all this together, and he put in footnotes. He could not communicate with with Mohamedou while he while this book um, while the book was being published. So he guessed on a lot of things, and the foot, footnotes were really an amazing part to this because he would also highlight and link to other reports. And those reports would would confirm a lot of what uh, Mohamedou was writing in this book, even about people and, and different events and all, all that dates. Uh, so that was there was neat to see those footnotes. And then he, the editor, would guess on what was being redacted. And I didn't know this at the time I chose this book or that I bought this book. There is also a second version of this book, and the second version came out in 2017, and it is unredacted. And so I actually purchased the unredacted version of the book as well. And so I read the redacted version, but then I uh, got access almost like the last day I was reading this book. I got uh, in the mail, I got the unredacted version. And what's really neat about the unredacted version is it, it instead of a black line covering the text, they have it in gray so you can read. So you can read the unredacted version, but still see what the U.S. government had originally redacted. The footnotes are updated a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of footnotes where he was guessing. Those are just removed uh, now that we have the, the actual text that was there. And, and then there's a, a new introduction to this uh, restored edition of, of the book. So really need to see to see that and compare the, the two different versions um, and, and, and amazing just to, to see what was redacted and what wasn't. But uh, the end of the story here is that uh, Mohamedou was released from Guantanamo on October 17th, 2016. Remember that he arrived August 5th, 2002, 14 years, 5,444, 45 days of, uh, of confinement. Things that Mohamedou was charged with, uh, the fact that he had sworn allegiance to Al-Qaeda, when he did that, they were fighting against the Russians, uh, so he was actually on the same side of the, as the USA at that point. He went to the same mosque as the Millennium Plot would-be bomber. Uh, that guy had left before Mohamedou had arrived in Montreal, but uh, the U.S. government had said that uh, somehow Mohamedou was the mastermind of the Millennial Plot. Another, another thing that was against him is that his brother-in-law, Abu Hafs, was a spiritual advisor to Osama bin, bin Laden. And this uh, brother-in-law actually opposed the attacks, wrote a letter to Osama bin Laden saying it was against the Quran, broke off ties after 9-11. Uh, Mohamedou was divorced from this wife, so this you know, was not a, his brother-in-law anymore, but that was still uh, an, another connection and so these these are the the things that the U.S. government was was saying against Mohamedou, but um, as Mohamedou says, uh, or, or, or uh, one of the guards in the in the in the book says, knowing somebody 
is not a crime. One of the other guards said this, and, and probably another reason that he was kept in uh, captivity for so long. Yes, you are. You are very smart. To me, you meet all the criteria of a top terrorist. When I checked the ter- ter- terrorist checklist, you pass with a very high score. I was so scared, but I always tried to suppress my fear. And what is your FBI checklist? Well, you're Arab. You're young. You went to jihad. You speak foreign languages. You've been in many countries. You're a graduate in a technical discipline. And what crime is that, I said. Look at the hijackers. They were the same way. End quote. So those are, those are the things that, uh, that he was charged with, that they were interrogating him about. Uh, but he was never charged with a crime in those 14 years of captivity, in those 5,445 days. As for who suggested this book, I heard about it first in The Daily Peanut. And I've, I've mentioned before that I don't read the news anymore. I do get one email a day, just uh, a, a broad overview of the, of the news. And that is a thing called The Daily Peanut. You can sign up for it as well. So that's where I first heard about this book. Uh, and then they linked to an NPR article where one of the guards at Guantanamo, uh, once Mohamedou was released, this guard went to um, Mauritania to, uh, to visit with, with Mohamedou. That's one of the neat things in this book is, is Mohamedou almost becomes friends with, with some of the guards and, and has rapport with them. And uh, so, yeah, neat. Uh, I read this book from November 5th through the 10th of this year. So I just finished it a a few days ago, uh, 2019. It's a 372 page book. So I I read about 74 pages per day. took me seven seven hours, 50 minutes and 53 seconds, about a minute 16 per page. And again, I highlight that so that you know how, about how long it might take you to read, read the book. As for my initial reaction, this was a really hard book to read. I'll get into a lot of the, the reasons for that in this episode, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> very, very hard to read. Uh, who should read the book? If you're interested in the, in the war on terror, the full ramifications for, for all that that entailed, uh, this is the only diary to come out of Guantanamo. And so it's in that sense, it's a, it's a very important historical record. Also, if you're curious as to just looking at redaction or re, yeah, redaction. So what, when, the government re- goes through a document and crosses stuff out. What are they redacting? Uh, it's a very interesting book in that sense, and especially now with the restored edition available. You can see what was redacted, what they redacted, and it's it's amazing because like one of the things they that the government re- redacted was the use of the word she. So when they're ta- when uh, Mohammedu was talking about the guards, anytime it was a female guard, they would remove the fact that it was a female guard. So they, they wanted to protect that for some reason. The large sections where it's like five pages of just straight black lines covering everything that's written, those covered two different polygraph tests that Mohamedou took. So it like not everything is super secretive in there, but they just redacted the entire sections. So that's interesting too. Like why, why did they do that? Um, the redactions were not uniform. They, they would cut out almost every single use of the word she, but then there'd be one she in there that they either forgot to do or left it in for some reason. And so you'd think if they're going to go through this document and redact it, 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 it would, 
they'd spend some time on that, uh, but it was not uniform, and, and they, they would let names that were redacted throughout the document, they would let it slide at one point just for some reason. And then on page 229 of the, of the original version of the book, they redacted the word tears. And the editor even makes a footnote. He says this, it seems possible, if incredible, that the U.S. government may have redacted the word tears. And that's when Mohamedou, he, he's so overwhelmed at one point that he, that he starts to cry, to cry. And he says, no worry, you, you're going to back to your family. He said, when he said that, I couldn't help breaking in redacted, but it's the word tears. And then when we look at the restored version of the book, it was in fact the word tears. And so for some reason, the U.S. government redacted the word tears. This is a really unique book. First, it's a diary, and it's a diary from a prisoner. It's one that came out 10 years after it was actually written, and at that it came out heavily redacted, but then two years later, 12 years after it was written, it comes out unredacted. And so we're not even able to read it for 10 years at least. And it's it's so personable uh, he's talking about the humanity of the guards. Uh, you would just think uh, someone in that situation who's being tortured would just not even care to, to see any humanity in the guards, but he ends up befriending some of the guards. Uh, one of the guards visits him in Mar- Mauritania uh, after he's released. And so there's just so many different aspects that make this a, a unique and interesting book. And I, I said in segment one that it's a very hard book to read. And I'm going to talk about the reasons why it it's hard to read. But I don't want that to take away from the importance of the book and its uniqueness. So here are the, some of the things that were, that were hard things to read about. And the first one is torture. So Mohamedou has this comment in the book. He says, I didn't believe that Americans torture, even though I had always considered it a ro- remote possibility, end quote. I, same, same for me. I didn't believe that Americans tortured. I grew up thinking that, and I grew up being proud of that. One of, uh, one of my greatest fears in life is, is somehow getting in the hands of somebody who would, uh, or, or some group that would, that would torture me. I, I just don't know what I would, what I would do. I'd, uh, th- th- I just fear that. And growing up, my mom always taught me that it could happen, uh, and, and would kind of talk about ways to prepare mentally. And it wasn't totally out of the realm of possibility. I grew up in the United States, but we would hear people speak who had been tortured and maybe it was either for, for being a Christian in a, a specific country or, uh, they were part of the military, and they had been captured and were a POW and had been tortured. And I remember I, I, I remember hearing these people speak and, and how they got through it and hearing about the, some of the horror of that, but, uh, but being able to, to, to make it through through that. And so in my mind, it was always a possibility, but there, there was some there's something in my head saying, I'm I'm glad that we don't as a country. I'm glad I live in a country that doesn't do that to others. And so in 2003, when we started seeing these photos come out of Iraq in what, uh, what U.S. soldiers were doing to, to the prisoners and, and reading the accounts, that 
that came as a shock to me in a, in a, in a deep disappointment. You may think that's naive. Uh, perhaps we've tortured along the way. I, I know there's been atrocities that uh, have been committed, but as a whole, it seems that we as a country had not gone down the route of torture. So to see it come out of Iraq and then um, to read these accounts in Guantanamo, it's, it's deeply disturbing and it's a stain on our nation and it's a stain on our na- national consciousness as well. Uh, and, and for me, it was, it was a disappo- it was a deep disappointment. So some of the torture that Mohamedou, I, I won't go into everything, but here, here's just one example of, of just kind of the sadistic nature of it. Uh, Mohamedou had a, a toilet in his room and one of the guards would make it so that his toilet had to be dry. That was, that was one of the requirements. The toilet had to be dry. But if you use the toilet and they would give him water all the time to, to make him sleep deprived. So he's having to go to the bathroom all the time and then you flush it and, and of course the whole thing gets wet. So in order to keep it dry, he needed something to keep it dry with. But they did not give him anything. So he, there was no towels in the room. There's nothing that he could use in the room to keep it dry. So the only thing he could use was his clothes. So he had to take off his clothes to wipe the toilet so it would not be wet. So the clothes get wet. They obviously smell of pee and poop. And then his room is kept at such a cold temperature that when he puts those clothes back on after wiping the toilet dry, he's even more cold. He's shivering. And again, that just keeps him awake. And there's a lot of different things that happen that he recounts in this book. A lot of these are are known things. And, and as you're reading the book, you'll see a footnote where uh, there's a, a document available where you can see how these interrogation methods were approved and signed off at the highest levels. And so it's all very deeply disturbing. But uh, it was all trying to get information out of out of. Mohamedou and and then other prisoners as well. But it led to this catch-22 situation where torture was used to get the information, but the information could not then be used as testimony or in court. And so I I think they were probably just using it to to try to get immediate intel to, to stop other attacks, but it had these unintended consequences of one, not being able to use it further down the road. And then secondly, a lot of the in- information that they're getting from prisoners who are under torture was not valid information. They're just basically wanting the torture to stop. So they they were telling the guards whatever they thought they wanted to hear. And in fact, it, it, it seems that uh, one of the reasons Mohamedou is kept in prison for so long is someone else gives his name under torture. And it wasn't correct that uh, his name was given, but uh, it seems that's one of the reasons that he's he's even kept in there for further. So Mohamedou admits to lying just to stop the torture. And so it, it just makes you, it, it's just a, a, it really is Catch-22. I, I read Catch-22 a, a long time ago, but the, I, when you're reading about the torture in this book, it, it, it almost has that same feel that you have in Catch-22, that there's, there's 
horrible situations that are happening and they're not leading they're not leading to anything productive and in fact they're probably hurting more than they're helping and so torture just reading about it being confronted with it uh that deep disappointment again was was the the first main thing in this book that was that was difficult to read the second thing is that this went to the top level uh bush president bush was briefed on Mohamedou. uh rumsfeld signed the documents to allow the enhanced interrogation so this is not like guantanamo section of cuba rogue you know it's not this military group that went rogue and they're they're doing things that that are not allowed uh perhaps it was secret in the sense that uh the american public was not aware but it's it wasn't a rogue thing it, it would be so much easier to accept and write off i guess if it was just a group of rogue soldiers going crazy but it's not it was signed off at the highest level and that's another area where it just gets gets really disturbing. Uh, another another thing is, is just wh- why is why is this important? It, we're talking about one guy here. Like why why is this important? There there is a major war on terror going on, and and if this was going to stop, if getting information from this prisoner was going to stop another attack, why why is this important? And I guess one thing I kept thinking about is, is how do we treat the least of these? How do we treat those in prison? How do we treat as a country? How, are, should we be known for the, the great things, the great cities, the, the big uh, military we have? Or should we be known for how we treat those who cannot defend themselves? And something that just kept coming up over and over that, that I was thinking about in, in this book. And then... Uh, also, for why is this important? It 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 in uh, Frederick Douglass' book that I highlighted earlier this year. He amazing part where he's talking about what slavery did to the slave owners, and he said it was as bad the the mark on the soul of the slave owners as it was for the slaves. And that's an amazing statement for someone who had been in slavery to say, who had been whipped, who had who had been. Uh, estranged from his family forcibly for him to, to make that statement. But you see the same thing in this book. It's not just the the prisoners, and in Mohamedou's case, an innocent prisoner. It's not just him that's going through the torture. It's not just him going through the pain. It's the guards themselves. Uh, one of the guards at, at one point says, I know I can go to hell for what I have done to you. And that's something that that guard has to live with the rest of his life. It's, it's collateral damage. It's not just the prisoner. It's the guard. But further than that, it's not just the system. It's, it's, it kind of goes back to my first point about uh, being disappointed in our country in a way for, for, the, for the torture. So it, it, it expands beyond that. When Mohamedou was interrogated in Mauritania, he was interrogated by FBI agents. He was interrogated by people from the United States. Mohamedou had never been in the United States. He had never done anything against the United States, but he was being interrogated by the United States. Just, just think of, like, what if 
what if China, what if an interrogator came over from China, you were arrested and, and they were interrogating you instead of somebody from the U.S.? Just kind of flip flip the shoe there a, a little bit. Um, another th- uh, interesting thing, and, and why is this important, is kind of going back to that first first quote I read where he, he talks about our founding principles. And one of the complaints against the British king that is listed in, the, in, in our Declaration of Independence is a complaint for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. So again, it just kind of comes full circle. Why is this important? It, it goes beyond just what we did to one person. It, 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 it says a lot more than that, and it's a violation of what we hold to be as a country. Now on to segment three, and the one thing, my one key takeaway with this book, as I'm sure you could tell in, in the last segment, this was an uncomfortable book in, in many, any, many ways. So my one key takeaway, it's not something I can like implement in my life to make, make my life better or anything like that, but it's a question, and it's, it's an uncomfortable question, and it's one that kept coming up as I was reading this book, and it's this. Am I okay with this? Am I okay with this going on? And I'm obviously not, but this is the first time I've really thought about it. I had a vague sense of what was going on at, at, at Guantanamo. Uh, from the information I, I allowed in, I knew, uh, or it seemed that prisoners were being treated well. I mean, in my mind, these were supposedly supposedly the worst of the worst. And if you needed to do some enhanced interrogation to get information that might help uh, stop another attack, well, uh, you know, maybe that had to be done. And that, that was... I just kind of bought all that hook, line, and sinker. I never stopped to think of what if there's somebody who's innocent there? What if the enhanced interrogation is going well beyond what I thought? What if it is torture and not enhanced interrogation? What if, what if I thought my country never went that far, but now they're going that far and they're going that far at a time when I'm alive. Is there something I can do? Is there something I can can say or or stop? Uh, try to stop this. So these are the, these are the kind of questions. That, am, am I okay with this? No, I'm not. But but uh, what do I do? What do I do going forward? And that's kind of the uncomfortable place I'm I'm at after finishing this book just a few few days ago. Uh, I'm glad I read it. It's one of those where it's kind of like Schindler's List. You, uh, it's not an enjoyable movie, but it's an important one. Uh, this is an, an important book, and it's important on on many different levels. It, it's it's it was amazing to me to see what was redacted, what uh, what the U.S. government didn't want to to have come out. Uh, it's amazing that um, that. He was never charged with anything. Muhammadu was never charged with with any crime, but was kept in prison for all those years. Uh, never got to to say goodbye to his mom. His mom died while he was in in prison. Uh, am I okay with this? Are Are you okay with it? 
I, I want you to check out the show notes. I'm going to put some links to, uh, to some, to some articles and, and more, uh, information from this book. If you, if you decide to read it, you, you might as well get the restored edition because you, you actually see what was redacted and you can follow Mohamedou. He's on Twitter. And so interesting story, uh, deeply disturbing, but, uh, but very important. I, I hope you read it. If you do, let me know. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I, I would love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to hear what, uh, what you think about this book, uh, maybe other podcast episodes where, where you've also read the book. I, one of the reasons I started this project was to, to talk to other people about the books that, uh, that I was reading. So you can email me at eric, E-R-I-K, at booksoftitans.com. That's going to be the best place to, to contact me. So let me know what you thought about this episode or uh, this book or, or other ones as well. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And I have a lot of information on the website that can help you get started with a reading plan of your own. I have some great book recommendations there. I'll be back next week and be covering another book. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. <laughs>